Hi, I'm Kate Montague. And I'm Jess Binneth. And you're listening to the Audiocraft Podcast, a series of recordings from our 2017 conference. And this session is called It's All in the Detail with Camilla Hannon. Camilla's an Australian audio producer, sound artist and field recordist, and her art and radio works have been exhibited, performed and broadcast in Australia and around the world. With her background in audio and fine arts, she brings a particular magic to her audio work. In this session, she talks us through how she draws on extensive field recordings and then takes them into the mix and crafts these incredible stories. So really, my background is as an audio producer. Um, I basically do anything to do with sound. So I went to art school and did fine arts in sound and mainly in multi-speaker installation work. And But at the same time, I was always in radio. I started in community radio when I was about 19 at PBS in Melbourne and have made stuff for Peebs, Triple R, Radio National, SBS, um, various kind of bodies. Um, I also am a sound designer. I make stuff for visual artists as well who go, oh, I reckon this thing could do with some sound. And so I work with them. I also work on podcasting as well, helping people kind of make more sound-rich Uh, works with their stories Um, I basically have a crack at anything you know I'm of the school where you say yes and work it out later Um, I started really my main focus was always field recording Um, and so when I went into radio and making radio features I really wanted to incorporate uh, field recording into those features and that was always my primary aim I always came to my audio my radio work Um, from a sound first perspective and then kind of worked out the story from the sound which seems to be a bit of probably a bit of a back to front kind of way but it probably reflects coming from a sound art kind of background. I always find with radio and sound art because radio is kind of considered the dark side with sound artists it's like really pragmatic you've got to go to time you've got to do resets you've got to do all this stuff and whereas I always feel like sound art's kind of like oh that kooky shit that people do uh, that doesn't make any money and yeah it doesn't make any money but it's kind of fun you know you can go I've got this wacko idea for a train line <laughs> we're going to put speakers along the train line do you think it'll freak the train drivers out <laughs> ah don't worry about it um so I suppose this presentation today is really about um, my practice and, and it's about listening. So that's um, um, a recording from uh, Clunes, which is a town in um, northern uh, Victoria. Um, I went up there to do some recordings with a collective of women recorders I'm involved with. Uh, we do occasional kind of field trips where you all hang out because, you know, when you work in sound, you pretty much work on your own. And I, I wanted friends. And so <laughs> I got a bunch of us together and we go out on collective trips um, and take mics and talk about microphones and, <laughs> and get all nerdy on each other and then go out and record and go, okay. Um, so that was from... 
uh, football game. The reason I played that is because it's really about emotion. A lot of my work is about emotion. It's about how we listen, um, what the impact on our sound has on us. And as people who, um, um, who make sound, we all want to have something um, that makes people feel something. You know, whether it's through our story, whether it's through our sound, whether it's through anything else or our talent or whatever. So for me, the sound design stuff is really about making people feel something. Um, so really, it's about constantly listening to our environment. It's about sitting and listening to our world. It's about getting a sense of space. And I think I got this from my spatialization uh, practice as well, and about how we can actually bring that back into your headphones. So how we can bring the world around us here um, and get that sense of space. And I know that like the session I went to last year that was kind of around this stuff with Miyuki and Tim Nicastri was really about foreground, midground, background. And, and that's really what I'm trying to get in these kind of recordings. And with the football stuff, it's about getting a sense of movement and you get that thud on the, on the mud, which I really liked. And it's also in the country, so you don't get any city sound as well as it's clean. And you also get that emotion of, as a woman, particularly listening to football, of the yelling and the aggression of men who play footy, and I'm sure if you play footy, it's not that, you know, you're playing a game, it's fun. But for me, when, when you remove all the visual cues, it becomes something else. And I suppose for my own work, um, I try and do that. A field recording is such a, a joy for me because that all said about hanging out with other people, solitude is actually a really lovely thing and something we don't have a lot of. And I think the whole idea of listening to our environment, either recording or not, is such a joyful thing. Um, and, and I think often when I'm recording in the field, I'll do long recordings and I'll just sit and be really still. And it, it, it's such a, you know, it's the best thing on earth. Well, for me. Uh, so I think um, I just wanted to bring that out. And I think often you're out there for just a couple of minutes of gold. That, that Clunes recording, that's like from two hours and that's 38 seconds. And I'm like, I'm, you know, and that's like my favourite bit of it. So I think it's often about not being afraid to leave the tape running. And the rule I have is leave the tape running longer than you're comfortable. So if you're getting to an end of it, you're sitting out there recording whatever... And you get to a point, you go, oh, I'm bored, I want to get out, hungry, whatever, I want to go check my phone, um, which you actually can while you're recording because it does make a sound. Um, it, <laughs> it's really just waiting those couple of minutes longer because that's when you get the gold. And that's what I've, I've found over, over the years. The next, I'll just play these clips because I really feel like a sound session should be about playing sound. So this next session, I suppose this, I was going to play this one because this is a guy called Lionel, Lionel Marchetti. He's a French composer and um, he comes from the music concrete school of collage and, and tape manipulation. Um, I was going to play one of the old guys from that French school from the 40s, but then I thought, why don't we play somebody contemporary? And Lionel's work is really a, an incredible use of field recordings. And I suppose the point of these uh, talking about field recordings is you can incorporate this into your um, storytelling work, if that's what you're making, and make kind of more sound-rich stories by allowing a bit of space and pulling apart and allowing room for the listener to come in. Um, and that's a lot of the work I like is about that.
So, um, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. How clean is that? It's like complete a nerd's dream. It's, um, and what I really love about that work is he keeps in the little clicks in it and it's like his contact mic, sounds like his contact mic's hitting um, a surface and, you know, the kind of you get when your mic's not completely clicked in. And I think, and they're all field recordings that um, uh, Marchetti uses and he's repurposed them and re-extended and extended them out so they become almost like a hyper-reality. Um, and and that's, I suppose that's what I'm interested in in the macro and micro worlds. It's kind of like what that actually means is what's going out, on out here, but also what's going on in here. You know, sometimes the, the strangest places you'll go to are the ones inside your head. Um, and I think when you're thinking about your listener, you're thinking what kind of strange places can we take our listener? You know, you can, you can think about the sounds or the sound pieces you've heard where you walk away and you go, Ah, oh, yeah. And it stays with you, you know, for the rest of the day or for whatever, for whatever reason, because of some little micro detail that's in it. And sometimes it's, for me, sometimes it's really worth that micro detail. And I think it's not just what lies above, it's what lies underneath. So for that reason, I'll use, um, I use a lot of contact microphones in my work to get the internal resonances of, um, of a, a building or a, I use a lot of, I've done a lot of wire recordings of like, um, um, you know, telegraph pole wires and, and things like that. And on metal poles, like flag poles are really nice to contact mics. I, I did this work doing some sound design for an animation that was presented at the Victoria Market in, in Melbourne as part of, the, part of their public art biennale. But what I had to do is the, the people I was making the work for said, we don't want any birds. I don't want any birds. I'm going, it's the Vic market. There's like sparrows for Africa. And I'm like, so I go, okay. So I'm out there at 1am because the birds got to sleep sometime. <laughs> it was so cold. And because, um, of course, it's always the middle of winter, isn't it? Uh, which is good because in winter it's the, the sounds are cleaner. Um, and, um, and I'm like, yes, this is my art. It's all right my phone, listening, multitasking, you know. And, um, but what happened is in, in Vic Market, you don't notice it during the day, but there's these beautiful flagpoles to the left and in the slight, and it was a slight wind, there wasn't any wind, which is great. Um, and it was just going, donk, donk, and kind of interrupting the ambience of the kind of traffic over here, kind of coming down Victoria Parade for you, those of you who know Melbourne. And, um, and it came up as a really beautiful, clean, it was really lovely, kind of spacious kind of recording. They decided they wanted birds. <laughs> I was like, you've got no taste. <laughs> anyway, working with visual artists, you'll get that. Um, so uh, it's, anyway, it's my, it's my constant, you know, pain. Um, it's, <laughs> Um, and I suppose kind of coming back to that sense of kind of hyper-reality, um, another work that I really like is, is this one. And this is um, um, Gabby Schaffner who made this fabulous record and, um, and I mentioned, I'm, I, you should give me uh, a commission, Miyuki, because I keep on referring to you. Miyuki uh, presented this woman's work as part of um, the, the excellent Soundproof program that was on Radio National. And Gabby Schaffner released this record through Grunkorder, which are um, a German field recording label. Um, and the whole shtick was that it's real, right? Okay, so the record's got all the liner notes saying, you know, this is 
um, Finnish snow dancers and this is what they do in Finland. They dance in the snow and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it looks completely legit. And it's, it's really interesting because of that idea of exotica with, uh, with world music and world recordings. People go, oh, yes, it must be real. It's, it's from up there, you know, in the snow where Santa Claus is and, you know, kind of thing. And um, so I just thought I'd play this because Miyuki went along with the joke which I just loved. I love that radio or what we're making, we play with the listener. We're not, we're just, we're going along. We're playing with the listener. We're having a conversation with the listener. We're engaging them. We're saying, come, come with us. We're going to have a fun time, you know, kind of thing. I'm Yuki Okiranta, and we're dipping into the icy world of Finnish snow music. In the springtime, soap sellers used to travel from village to village, selling soap made of birch leaves. This next track is their song, Saipuakaupias, and the song structure, like the word, is a palindrome. It can also be played backwards. Which, um, I mean, it's beautiful work, you know. We should have more of that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get myself into so much trouble. Uh, um, I probably should play something that I've made. This is uh, Stargazing for Beginners. It was a five-part series that I made for Soundproof. Miyuki. <laughs> I should pay five bucks every time I say Miyuki's name. Uh, and um, it was a five-part series that was commissioned about astronomy. It's part DIY, part poetry, part science. And these things are really hard to pitch <laughs> because you've got you, you kind of have, got to have a dialogue about, well, it's going to sound kind of like, you know, it's going to come and things coming in and, you know, and you're like, and then looking at you like, and you're like, trust me. And, you know, there's a whole lot of trust in that, you know, thing. And so I was really happy they trusted me. Um, and so there were five episodes, the first one being kind of an intro, the second one being about the moon, the third one being about navigation, fourth about southern lights, southern aurora, and the fifth one about um, we're all going to die basically, which was called Chaos. Um, so really it's uh, – so I'll just play you a little excerpt of it and then I'll, I'll kind of talk about it. In the universe, there is constant destruction and construction – as stars come into being, other bodies disappear. There may be no beginning, and there may be no end. It may simply be an existence of wondrous imagination. Thank <laughs> you. 
So that's all field recordings that I've pretty much made in my studio. So um, I, um, oh, the first, the beginning is like a two-up game in, in Brisbane at a pub up there, mixed with the sound of the Grand Prix coming through my studio windows. Um, so you kind of get that washy kind of thing going on. And then lots of metal rubbing, marbles in a fish tank with um, hydrophones uh, that I quite like using as textures and things like that. A friend of mine moving a rubbish bin around as an out was an outtake from an installation we did, and um, yeah, so it's kind of I kind of made that shit up. <laughs> uh, I wrote it as well, so it kind of was really about how I felt about space. I know nothing about space, uh, and I didn't know anything before I started. But what I did know is that you can make stuff up, and that was my prime objective because nobody really knows. <laughs> It's a good sound like that. <laughs> uh, and I don't care, <laughs> really, if it doesn't sound like that because I've just made stuff up um, and got it on the radio. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's really about creating pace, trying to create pauses and space for the listener, using repetition a lot in my work um, uh, and, um, yeah, things like that. Um, in one scene of that, I... I, I've got a studio in a city building in, in Melbourne and I had to record the sound of high heels running around a tile corridor, don't ask, and uh, for part of this series. And, uh, and I got a pair of shoes from Target and I'm at Target going, oh, these ones, yeah, okay, these ones. Yeah, all right, all right, I mean, run back. And I've set up a couple of mics in the corridor and then just ran around. It's got this beautiful kind of um, circular thing around the studios and ran around the tile thing on a Sunday and um, and this woman comes out of her studio going, what the fuck are you doing? I'm trying to work in here, you know. I'll be five, I'll be five, like this. But what it created was this really nice sense of space and running past the microphone so you get that really natural decay. I'm a big believer in sorting it out when you're recording rather than trying to rely on post-production because that will kill you, <laughs> as I know from experience. Um, the last one I just wanted to play you, I'm making a series about two programs for Earshot at the moment um, about the history of broadcasting in Papua New Guinea and I'm just going to play you a short excerpt from that. I was going to show you the session. What do you want to see? Do you want to hear it or do you want to see the session? Who's nerdy? Okay. All right. uh, um, yeah, I colour coded. <laughs> So what I do, this is like, I was saying, this is like when you clean your room for visitors and then you, and you shove it all in the cupboard and then you go, oh. And if anybody who's got young children knows you do that a lot. Uh, so this is kind of what I do. Okay, all right, I'll give you the nerd fest. I break it up into voice, um, atmos, music. With this one, I had also an archive. There's so much archive material for these programs. Um, that I had separate archive tracks as well um, because the EQing, depending on the EQing that I require, particularly for that track. Um, I can be very lazy. You should see the other session. It's like you wouldn't show anybody. So I'll just play you the excerpt. It's really so you can get a sense of it.
1968, Australian journalist Sean Dorney was 18 and living in Queensland. And in search of something different to the white, broad landscape of Australia, he arrives in a small town surrounded by rich, fertile land and overlooking a sparkling harbour. The smell of yams cooking fills his senses. The people are dark-skinned, reserved and speaking a language that is somewhat familiar but somewhat strange. It's a different kind of heat to Australia. Here, the sweat sits in the creases of your limbs. The humidity makes you lethargic. Your head aches. But Sean had come for a job, looking for adventure. And that's why he came here, to Port Moresby, in Papua New Guinea. PNG is a land of many stories, and this is just one. I went up there on secondment to the National Broadcasting Commission from the ABC. Uh, this is prior to independence. And uh, I wandered down the road from Wonga Hostel and found a trade store and uh, was looking around for a toothbrush and all I found was a nail brush with a big handle on it. So <laughs> I thought, oh, these part New Guineans, they must have big teeth. So I bought that and uh, for a few days had a lot of trouble cleaning my teeth until I actually came to a supermarket where they had proper toothbrushes and uh, I realised yet again uh, the uh, ideas that you may have aren't quite right. Every assumption you make comes under challenge sooner or later and so you have to readjust your thinking because it is such a different place to the Australia that I grew up in anyway. So I'll leave it there. Just so it's basically all those record the streetscapes and stuff. We're actually recorded by um, my colleague there, Steve Marseille, who was kind enough to walk around the streets <laughs> for me. I put a, a pair of little DPA little mini omnis on his collar um, just because he wouldn't stand out so much as I would. Um, and a recorder in his pocket and he went around and recorded. That's another conversation about getting somebody else to do your field recordings, both um, cross-culturally and also um, for the perspective of what you want as well. So I think that was, that was kind of an interesting conversation we had about that because I would I'd brief him and said to him, I want you to um, record for people like my, my family at home. So what they would want to think about PNG and what you know what's representative of Port Moresby, and uh, and you got that lovely Kai Kai cooker, who's um, the woman cooking with the child running around, you know. So I got this beautiful spatial thing, and I was like, and that was the thirty-eight seconds, you know, that I was like, oh, awesome, you're great, Steve. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose the Sean Dorney stuff is really, because the program, I should probably explain, is um, it's really about Australians' impressions and Papua New Guinea's impressions of that time before independence, before 
um, self-government in 73 and independence in 75 and the relationship between um, the Australians and the and the Papua New Guineans and and Sean Dorney kind of sums it up you know with that beautiful thing about assumptions and the assumptions we make and I really wanted to, that kind of became the key point when I started because the program started off completely differently but when I went there I went no this is the story I want to tell um, but also when I say this is just one story I'm really aware as um, as a, a white Australian going into Papua New Guinea that this is my story talking about another culture and all the layers and complications that are inherent in that as well Oh, my God, my brain. Anyway, I'm probably running out of time and I've digressed, which I tend to do, I'm sorry. Um, is there, do you want to have a look at my session a bit more? You know, like, shall I go into the uh, mixer window? Uh, <laughs> ooh, look at that mixer. Uh, so this, I just whipped this up for this. This is like, because I'm mixing it off next week. And um, I went, crap, I want to play something. And I just recorded the voice links the other day. And listening to it then, I'm going, I need to re-record that line. Um, but really what I generally start off with is I always start off with EQ and particularly with um, Atmos recordings from streets and stuff, just roll off the bottom, roll off the bottom, roll off the bottom. Um, and then work from there. So it's not very exciting. You know, but and I'm a mad labeler, mad labeler. That mad, like when in the first session this morning, that was me groaning the loudest when um, Sophie was saying I didn't label anything for five years and I just felt sick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, because I've done that. Uh, but no, I'm a mad, like, like raw recordings, edit recordings. I've got like six different folders of different and I date stamp everything and call, and call them different takes. And so if you looked at my other session, which has got all the material in it, all my grabs are cut up, the ones I've gone through paper transcripts and cut and listened and then made notes and then cut them out. Like all the work is in that bit. This is the fun bit, you know. So as you know. Um, shall we go to questions? Great. <laughs> shall we listen to some more stuff? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hi, Yuki. Five bucks. Um, Camilla, can you take us through the microphones that you've just been speaking about, a contact, a hydrophone, an omni, any other kind of fantastic bits of gear that you use? Okay, so a contact mic. Um, a contact mic, I use these Shayla Oyster mics, which you use for upright harps. And you can make your own piezo mics, but they're shit and they hum. And it's a waste of your five bucks. Um, I'll have a bunch of people telling me, no, that's not right, you really can make one. And usually they're men in their 20s who... <laughs> Sorry, men in their 20s. Uh, and anyway, get myself in trouble again. Uh, so <laughs> contact mics. And so, but what's good about them is that um, you just stick them on with a bit of blue tack and they get the resonances inside the material. So inside a flagpole or inside a, a pole that you just... I spend a lot of time walking around with my head against poles. Um, I, what was the other thing? Hydrophones are water microphones, which you drop in and you hear the frequencies in water. Um, and in water, sound travels further. So you, and you can get some really lovely kind of ambient kind of textures, which are really nice to use. Uh, omnis are ones that can take, you know, all the space. It's my, so my non-techie kind of answer, uh, um, which, you know, I've got a wider pickup. Um, and so the little Omnis I use, these DPA 4060s, they're worth the money. 
Uh, and I, I figured Chris Watson, the field recorders, used them, so they must be all right. Um, so <laughs> I put them, actually, I do this really, I put them on a coat hanger and um, shed out the coat hanger and put a bit of cardboard in between to get the separation. So it's kind of like it's on your head and you get kind of a true um, spatial recording out of it. That's, that's, that's really fabulous. Do you ever get anxious about the medium through which people are listening back to your work, particularly with all the, like the beautiful ambiences? If someone's like on the train, their little headphones, which is how I listen to everything sure. as well. Yeah. You know, so you do I. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how most of us listen to things, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. I used to. I don't anymore because otherwise you can't you can't put that up tight, you know. If you want people to listen to your work, I mean, you do mix with that consideration in mind, um, and often, but I also mix with the high fidelity in mind. I suppose I want to make something that I'm really happy with first and foremost and and then um, go from there as a starting point, I suppose. So short answer, long answer, no. <laughs> I'm curious to know what headphones you use in the field compared to at-home editing. Okay. Um, so I've got a pair of, you know, the big AKGs at home because um, they're really comfortable to sit with um, for a long period of time. Um, in the field, I have these terrible headphones, <laughs> a pair of Technics um, uh, headphones that I use mainly because they fold up, because my kit is so big um, and I generally want it all in a backpack. Um, I have a trolley as well if I'm at home, like if I'm doing stuff around Melbourne, I have like a, a shopping a trolley, like a grandma shopping trolley that I shove stuff in. Um, but if I'm actually in the field and stuff, um, I'll have a backpack. So, but that's got to fit a lot of stuff. I always take two recorders um, and then a, an array of mics, depending on what I'm recording. Um, so, for example, I did a work that was in Darwin, outside of Darwin, doing a lot of field recordings in the bush. And for that, I, and I had a, a mic stand as well, a fold-up mic stand. I found this great one. Oh, I wish I could remember what it's called. But, um, but it's great. It's really light. It's like weighs a kilo. Um, and particularly if you're putting stuff on planes and things like that, it's really important to have light gear, obviously, as much as you can. Um, and so, yeah, so I have two pairs of headphones. Um, and so the folding one, it's, that's the main criteria. And they sound okay, you know. Um, microphones aside, do you think there's a difference between a cheap, like, Zoom recorder or a really expensive um, sound devices type recorder? Um, so I have a, a, a sound devices that I use for my, I really want a nice recording. Um, that said, in Papua New Guinea, a lot of the time I didn't feel comfortable carrying around my SD. Um, so I would take my crappy, oh, it's not crappy, it's a Tascam DR100, which is, you know, not terrible, but it's not great. It's probably a bit up from a Zoom. Um, and I, But I had a really nice microphone on it. I had a DPA shotgun mic. Yeah. So it's a compromise you make. I suppose for voice, um, often what I'm interested in is when the person stops talking and they go, <laughs> nerd. I guess that was my question. Um, uh, what is the difference? Is it sort of dynamic like space or the fact that it picks up a little? Yeah, it's probably about that. I mean, it's all about the preamps and, um, and the mic. I suppose it's just, you know, it's what you can, it's a situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering when you start layering something, do you have a process that you go through? Like, do you start 
I mean, you said you start with the sound and then make mm. the story, mm. but is there anything else you take into consideration? Well, I can talk about this one. Is It started with um, the rain. I knew I was going to go in the rainy season, but I also – the story of this program is it started from a letter. Um, my father spent 10 years in P&G after the Second World War working for civil aviation, and he mixed with – he hung out with a bunch of women who were radio makers from Radio Australia. And um, I've got the um, picture. Yeah, that one. There's these women. And so that's where the story started, okay? So that's in a bar in P&G in, in Port Moresby in 1940-odd. Um, and I was trying to find them, but, of course, they're dead, right? Um, and then, um, yeah, I know. And <laughs> But then I was thinking about it and she, I, got, I found a letter that she, one of these women had sent my father saying, do you remember Bob driving down the road from Sagari and the rain was hitting the roof of our Jeep and you told me to stick up my glass and gather water for my rum? And I went, that's it, that's the story. And so it becomes, so the name of the work is more than 800 words for rain because in Papua New Guinea there's more than 800 languages. So it's, um, and so I did lots of vox pops with people say, and I would say, so what do you call rain? You know, what do you call rain? And, you know, and there's these very funny conversations with people where I'm going, yes, okay, and, you know, and people, and I had my friend Sunny with me who was helping me out with stuff and, and so it kind of became, and then I recorded lots of rain because I was there in the rainy season. So I've got hours and hours of rain, <laughs> which I've got a massive library of, of sound. So I often repurpose as well, which is very handy. Just on recording rain, because it's really easy to make it sound like white noise, especially if it's yeah, broadcast. Yeah, I was thinking that. How that. do you record it and hear the trickling and the textures of it? Like, um, how do you do it? You do different, use different mic placements. Um, so if I had time, I've got this other recording from Darwin that I made and, or you put it on something, you know, like it's on metal. Okay. So the recording I had in Darwin, it was actually hitting, you know, the sound of a tin roof. So, and you mix that with the wider ambience. So it doesn't matter if it's not an authentic recording, it's your, what you want to do with it. So for that, I often layer stuff. So I would layer the broader ambience with, um, with the close miking stuff. So it's about getting foreground, background, midground. Um, and, and then you get those accents and textures. And often if I'm layering different atmoses, I'll EQ them differently. So you pull out certain frequencies on one thing and, and drop ones on the other. And that sometimes works. <laughs> Trial and error, yeah. Um, this is an, probably an appropriate question then. You've talked right. about how you edit for space and for layer, but how do you edit for time? How do you work with decisions about time? Time. <laughs> uh, well, I completely over-recorded for this Papua New Guinea project and came back and I had um, the EP in my head all the time I was up there going, don't over-record, don't over-record. I'm over-recording. Um, but I'll use it for something else. Uh, so how do I edit for time? Um, I find the central story um, and, and then work backwards kind of thing and work, work from there, pull it apart and pull it apart. Like um, this... the. I've just done rough mixes of the PNG stuff and they started at 40 and I've cut to 26. Um, and it's really just about being brutal and, and listening objectively and going, does the listener actually really care about that? No, they don't, okay? So what becomes, you prioritise um, what you're looking for, I suppose. And it also, um, 
I've worked for a long time as a promos producer <laughs> and so I'm very good at cutting <laughs> and being brutal with, you know, because when you've got to make 30-second spots, you, you're brutal. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs>